joining that men's fellowship. All right, we're going we're to jump right into today's passage of Scripture in Hosea chapter 13, where a couple, um, couple uh, messages, uh, and then we're finished with this book. And then if you're someone that likes to know what we're going through next, after Hosea, we're going to spend three weeks going over the core values of our church. What, what is uh, the, the mission and the purpose of our church? We're going to spend three weeks talking about our core values. And then after that, uh, in uh, September, we're going to be launching into the book of Revelation. So just really excited to be uh, going through a powerful book that's either been obsessed with or, or um, neglected because of just how, how wild uh, the last book of the Bible is. So I'm really excited to be getting into that uh, book of the Bible um, coming up in a short while. All right, well, let's get into Hosea chapter 13. We're going to be starting with verse 2. We're going to read through the entire chapter. Before that, I want us to think about the topic of warning signs. The topic of warning signs, right? Warning signs are put out in order to protect the person that's there. Right, so um, up by kind of by Sandy Beach area, right, if you wanted to go see the below hole, right, this, this awesome uh, nature that God made, right, where, where water shoots up a hole in the rocks that were formed by molten lava tubes, and it's near the ocean, and the water can shoot up up to 30 feet high, right? So I lived on that side of the island, grew up that side of the island, so, you know, I'd see the below hole, hole often. And if you were to go there, right, you know that there are warning signs there saying don't go near it. Don't go near it because it's, it's beautiful, it's powerful, but it's, it's dangerous. And yet, right, you hear stories of people that will ignore the warning signs, go down there and even stand above the, the blowhole, right? And so people have lost their lives because of being blown, right, by, by that blowhole and going to the water and drowning, right? Warning signs are meant for our protection, for our protection, right? More recently, maybe you've, you've read on the news about uh, right, a, a woman who was attacked, right? Or I should say who was, uh, uh, the, right, the mother monk Sil Rocky was protecting her young. So this woman was swimming to that territory and, and, and the mother was defending uh, her pup from this swimmer, right? And so there are warning signs posted on Kaimana Beach, right, right? Just right down from here, right? And we don't know the total circumstances, but this uh, swimmer got close and, and um, mama, mama protected, right? Mama Rocky was protecting her young, right? The warning signs are meant to protect, to protect, right? We even, God has given us even warning signs for our bodies, right? Sometimes our bodies will feel a certain way, will not feel right, and they're warning signs that, hey, something's not right, right? Go to the doctor to check it out, right? Maybe it's something that we're eating. Maybe it's some uh, uh, a lifestyle thing that needs to change. God has given us even these warning signs even in our bodies that show us, hey, to protect us and say, hey, something needs to happen. Warning signs are meant for, for our protection. And so God was giving Israel a lot of warning signs that they were headed in a direction that was going to lead to their destruction. And they ignored all of the warning signs that God was given to them. And it's easy to judge them and to look down upon them for doing that, but but we've missed warning signs too, haven't we? Right? As followers of Jesus, there are probably times where God was leading us to to to, to you know not get into a certain relationship because it wasn't wasn't healthy for us, but we did, or to not continue a certain 
habit, but we continued it, and it was self-destructive for us, and we didn't listen to God. Um, there are times maybe that we know we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't make that purchase because that's just not a wise purchase. But we ignored the warning signs, and we just made the purchase and got even into more uh, um, dangerous debt. Right? And how many times? I know for my own self, right? I ignored the warning signs and end up kicking myself because I knew, like, ah, like I saw the warning signs, but I chose to ignore it because of my own desires. So today, what we're going to be looking at is why? Why do we ignore God's warning signs? Why do we not turn away from our sin and turn to God? And then after that, we're going to be looking at, well, how can we turn to God? What does it look like to then turn away from danger and to turn to God? Israel did not heed the warning signs. So we're going to be looking at, at why. Why did they continue in the direction that they continued in? Uh, starting with verse 2 in chapter 13. So let's read it. Read this. And now they, right, Israel, they sin more and more, right, ignoring the warning signs, and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist, or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls to the threshing floor, or like smoke from a window. Here's why God's people, or here's why Israel did not turn to God. It's because they treasured their idols. They treasured their idols. Notice here God describes them as they kiss calves, right? These golden images, these idols of other gods. They loved and treasured them so much right, that they would physically kiss them as signs of affection and allegiance. They treasured their idols, these worthless things, so much, so much that they seemed to have offered what they themselves should have been treasuring. If we look at the verse, it says here that they kiss calves and they offer humans, human sacrifices. Now we know in Israel's history that oftentimes the humans they offered were their own children. King Manasseh was an example, who offered his own child to the fire as a human sacrifice to please these gods. So Israel ended up treasuring worthless idols by giving up treasures, their own children, their own children, in order to appease and to seek the favor of these idols, right, to the point of killing, right, murdering their own children. And so judgment would come, and God describes it as it'll be quick. They would be like dew, right? That morning uh, water on the leaves that quickly dry up from the morning sun. They wouldn't last very long. Judgment was coming because of the evil that they were doing. They were treasuring their idols. That's why, that's why too, we, we often won't turn to God because we, we find these idols as more valuable. But they always will disappoint they always will lead us empty because they can never fill the need that only God can fill. Now, Tim Keller talks about this. When, when idols end up disappointing us, we end up going in uh, or responding in four different ways. Tim Keller writes that when we finally realize that idols disappoint, here's what he says, there are four things you can do. First is you can blame the things that are disappointing you and try to move on to better ones. 
That's the way of continued idolatry and spiritual addiction. So Keller's saying, well, one way when idols disappoint us is we try to find another idol. Right? Oh, that relationship that I worship, ah, that wasn't working. I'm going to find another relationship that worked. That purchase that I thought was going to make me happy after I bought it, ah, I'm not happy with that. I'm not happy with that 50-inch you know, flat-screen plasma TV anymore. I need a 70-inch flat-screen plasma TV that's 3D. Right? So that's one way we can respond to when we're disappointed with idols, is we'll look for another idol. A second way we respond when we're disappointed with idols is, is this, and Keller says this, he says, you can blame the things that are disappointing you and try to move on. Right? That's the first one. You can blame yourself and beat yourself. That's the way of self-loathing and shame. Right? So another way we respond when idols disappoint is we beat ourselves up. We say, oh, I'm so messed up. I'm so sinful. I'm an idolatrous person. Woe is me. But it never turns into looking to God for, for hope and for salvation. It focuses on how messed up we are. And that is in itself a self-worship because the focus is still on ourselves. Like, how could we have done that? Why did we, we, we mess up over and over again and we stay on ourselves? The third reaction is you can blame the world. That's how you get hard, cynical, and empty. Right? When, when these idols are disappointing us, we end up saying, well, that's just life. Like, you can never be happy. You can never be satisfied. And we end up being bitter and angry and cynical. Right? If we ever find ourselves bitter, angry, and cynical with life, it's probably because we're looking for other things that will try to make us happy. We've been disappointed. And so we came to the conclusion that nothing can make us happy, not even God. We get cynical. And then there's the fourth option. Now, this is what God was calling Israel to. Or you can reorient your entire focus of your life on God. Turning to God and to find our treasure in Him. So maybe we've been experiencing that. Maybe we've been experiencing the emptiness of chasing after idols. And we've been disappointed and tempted to chase after another idol. Or maybe we, we felt the sting of disappointment and we're just beating ourselves up this afternoon and saying, God can't bless me because I'm just so messed up. Or maybe, right, maybe it's this third option where we, we, we instead just have just given up altogether in, in finding satisfaction, just saying, you know what, just everything just sucks, right, and just become bitter and cynical and that's just bleeding into all of our other relationships. Instead, we need to turn to the Lord to find our joy and our hope once again in him. Israel didn't do it. Right? They kept on in their idols. Instead of turning to God, they forgot about him. That's the second reason that, that we can often not turn to God, is we just simply forget about him. Let's read verse uh, 4. <clears throat> it reads, But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard. I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breasts. And there I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast would rip them open. Right, again, God is describing in different pictures and, and ways how Israel deserves God's judgment, just the wickedness that, that they've been living in and the rebellion that they have chosen uh, to walk in against God. 
And here it says that they forgot the Lord. God brought them into the land of, of, of promise. He freed them from slavery in Egypt. And, and when they started to enjoy the land, when they started to get comfortable, they forgot that it was God who brought them there. That it was God who sustained them. Instead, attributed their success to themselves because they uh, forgot the Lord in their, in their time of prosperity, in their time of comfort. And so same thing. Where we can, uh, and we've, I mentioned it before, we can for easily forget God when times are comfortable. When times are hard, wham, we're on our knees in prayer. When times are easy, ah, super easy to forget about God. And that's exactly what they did. And so because they forgot about God, they didn't, they didn't turn to God. And instead, they placed their dependency not only on themselves, but on other humans. Let's read on in verse 10. It says, where now... Well, let's go read verse 9. Verse 9. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Where now is your king to save you in your cities? Where are your rulers, those of whom you said, give me a king and princes? I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. So when Israel came into the land of, 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 of promise, they were given judges to, to rule over them. And Samuel was one of those judges. He was a good judge. But after that, Israel wanted a king. They looked around at the other nations and said, hey, you know, all these other nations have this king, this ruler over them to provide for them, to protect them. We want to be just like the other nations. We want a king. And so Samuel was distressed. He said, oh no, like God is supposed to be their king. Why do they want a king? And so, so Samuel comes to the Lord, and the Lord says, you know what, we're, we're, I'm going to give them what they want. I'm going to give them an earthly king. And so he gives them Saul. Right? If you know the story, Saul is a terrible, wicked king that doesn't bring blessing upon his people. He brings judgment upon Israel. Throughout Israel's history, they had some good kings, like David, right? But even David had his issues. Most of the kings, though, were, were just wicked to the core. And so God judged these kings. And some of these kings were taken into exile when, when Israel was taken over by Assyria and when Judah was taken over by Babylon. And so that's why God is saying here in verse 11, I gave you a king in my anger, right? You want to be just like the other nations? You have rejected me as, as, as king? I will give you what you want. A king who is selfish and sinful and who will end up destroying you. But then that, the king also will be judged. He says, and I took away that king in my wrath. A reason we don't turn to God is because we try to find our hope in other people. In other people. One way we do that is we can think that the ultimate hope for us, for our communities, is in political leaders. Or we can think that, that political leaders are the ultimate answer to fix the ultimate problems. We can put our ultimate hope in other authorities in our lives, uh, such as our, you know, our, our, our boss, the person that we, we uh, have to report to at work. If something goes bad at work or right at work, they're the ultimate solution or the, the, the ultimate problem, right? But right, ultimately, the ultimate problem is the sin that, that resides in our own lives. We can try to find human answers through other relationships, 
thinking that they're the ultimate way that we can find hope and satisfaction and joy in life. And again, it kind of connects to the first point, that we can treat them like idols. When we think that they're the ones that are going to fix everything. And instead of turning to God, we, we turn to these other people. And we know that we're trusting in them when, when we get really angry at them for not doing what we want them to do. Or we get really desperate for them when they're not giving us what we want them to be giving us. And so other humans can be a cause for us not turning to the Lord. And then finally, we don't turn to the Lord because we want to protect our own sin. We want to protect our own sin. Let's read on from verse 12. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store, kept hidden and protected. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son. For at the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where's your plagues? O Sheol, where's your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Though he may flourish among his brothers, Ephraim, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come, rising from the wilderness, and his fountains shall dry up. His springs shall be parched. It shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Right? Assyria is going to come, and, and, and Assyria is going to judge Israel. He's going to take them into captivity. That's his judgment. And verse 16, Samaria shall bear her guilt. Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom. Because she has rebelled against her God, they shall fall by the sword. Their little ones shall be dashed in pieces, and their pregnant women ripped open. Wow. Right, here's this, again, powerful pictures and images of the judgment of the Assyrian army that is coming to destroy Israel and to take the, the, the remainders, those who are alive, into captivity. And again, these are warning signs after warning signs. God is patiently and compassionately warning them about what is to come, but they don't want to turn from their sin. They want to hide and, and, and keep protected their sin. Back in verse 12, it says that their sin is kept in store. It's kept hidden and protected. Kind of like... Um, Kind of like a possessive boyfriend that doesn't want his girlfriend to be talking to anybody but him, right? Protecting that person from anything else, right? Because they, they, they're insecure and they, they, they need to treasure and protect uh, his, his girlfriend, right? And in fact, that's end up being detrimental to their relationship. They're protecting, um, Israel is protecting the thing that they need to let go. It's like Superman, Right? And, and his one weakness is kryptonite. Right? It's like Superman trying to protect and store away kryptonite. The very thing he's hiding and protecting is ending up destroying, uh, destroying him. And they needed to, to, to let this go, to, to give up their sin, to give up their idols. But instead, they're stubbornly holding on to it, even though God is calling them to repent. God describes them like a child, verse 13, a child who uh, is coming out of the womb. A woman is in labor, she is giving birth, right? The time is now, the water bag has broken, the doctors are ready, right? The contractions are consistent, right? Now is the time, the pushing has happened. Now is the time for baby to come out, but what does it say? 
in verse 13, but he is an unwise son. For at the right time, the time of labor, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. So Israel is like this child in labor that's supposed to come out, but he don't want to come out. He don't want to come out. Right? And, and what that means is he, he is putting himself in danger because he is unwilling to come out at the right time. Right? He's putting everybody in danger. And so God is comparing uh, uh, Israel to this, this infant right, who's supposed to come out. Right? And, and he's endangering himself because he stubbornly does not want to leave where he is. That's why... Uh, we often don't turn to the Lord is because we're protecting and stubbornly holding on to um, the sin in our lives that we think is supposed to make us happy. Proverbs 28, verse 3, proverb writer uh, tells us, whoever conceals, hides, right, protects his transgression, his sin will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Right? To confess our sin and to forsake our sin. So how then do we turn to the Lord? If these are reasons why we don't turn to the Lord, how do we turn to the Lord? Let me encourage us three ways uh, where we can turn to the Lord um, that I see in this passage. One way is this, is to bring our idols to God. To instead of protecting and hiding our sin, it's to present our sin, our idols to God. Confessing. We do that by confessing. By, God, by saying, God, we have been treasuring these idols more than you. We confess that we are sorry for doing this. We need help to let go of our idols. James encourages us in his letter to confess our sins to one another, to pray for another, one another, to be healed, right? to confess this to, to trusted brothers and sisters in our lives who can pray for us, that we would forsake our idols and, and turn to the Lord. So one way we respond, turning to the Lord, is giving our idols to God. The second way is this. It's to give thanks. Right, so Israel forgot about the Lord. They did not give thanks to the Lord. They thought they themselves uh, were the reasons for their prosperity. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 to give thanks in, in every circumstance. Maybe we've become cynical. Maybe we've become bitter. Maybe we've forgotten the Lord. I want to encourage us, right, in those times where we forget God, in those times where we've become cynical or bitter because of difficult circumstances in life, to get alone with God and to, to praise Him. Those are the times where we can turn on a, a worship song and just, just thank Him and praise Him for who He is in that difficult circumstance. To get alone and to even just to think about all the ways that God has blessed us, starting with Jesus. And his giving his one and only son for us. We combat forgetting the Lord by giving thanks, intentionally giving thanks to the Lord in every season that we're in. Finally, a third way we turn to the Lord is to fully trust in him. To fully trust in him. It was God who brought Israel into the promised land. It was God who sustained Israel in the promised land. And it will only be God who will rescue Israel from judgment, from Assyria, from his own judgment for their sin and their rebellion. And we see that here in verse 14. It is God who said, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. Sheol is a place of the dead, from death. 
I shall redeem them from death. O death, where is, are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? It is God alone who rescues his people from the judgment that they deserve that's coming from God. Not even Assyria could rescue Israel from God's judgment. Only God can rescue Israel from his judgment that they deserve. And only God rescues us from his wrath that we deserve for worshiping idols, for forgetting him, for relying on other people other than the Lord, from hiding and treasuring and protecting our sin. It is only God who could die for our sins and take the punishment that we deserve for our sins. It's only God who defeated death on our behalf through his own death on the cross. And Paul was thinking about this passage when he wrote 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what he says. Paul says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So Paul helps us to understand Hosea better. Right? The best commentary on the Old Testament is the New Testament. Right? What is the answer to escaping death? What's well, this, Paul? He says this. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we escape death and the plagues of death. It's through Jesus Christ alone. Through Jesus taking upon himself our sin. Through Jesus experiencing death on our behalf. So we wouldn't experience eternal separation from God and eternal punishment. It was all through his death on the cross and the resur his resurrection from the dead. He rose to give us a new life. And now by the power of the Spirit, we can live a life that trusts him fully, a life that is thankful to him, a life that lets go of idols and sins and, and looks to Jesus as our greatest delight and our greatest joy. So I want to encourage us by the power of the Spirit right, to fully trust in the Lord because he is worthy and he is able in all of our struggles and all of our troubles, he is able to help us to fix our eyes on him through it all. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus, that because we don't have to fear death, it's because of him, that he conquered death by his own death on the cross. And we can celebrate that this afternoon. We can rest in the finished work of Jesus, that he took the judgment that we deserve, that we could have the life that he deserved, a life of eternal fellowship with you. And we want to celebrate that now as we take communion, as we sing to you. And so we pray you, you continue, Lord, the good work that you're doing in our hearts. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I encourage us as we uh, celebrate and